0: Welcome to Living Southern Oregon, a podcast dedicated to discovering and exploring all Southern Oregon has to offer. I'm your host, Simona Fino, and I will be introducing you to the people who live here, the things they love, and what makes Southern Oregon a magical place to call home. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Living Southern Oregon, where today I have Michael Dotson. So Michael is the director at the Klamath Siskiyou Wildlands Center, which is a nonprofit conservation organization working across Southwest Oregon and Northwest California's public lands and watersheds. His work is geared towards community organizing, civic engagement, and advocacy on behalf of wildlife, Clean water and forests. Michael moved to Southern Oregon in two thousand thirteen and is going on nine years living here in the region. All right, welcome.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great. I've
0: been wanting to since the moment that I knew I was going to be doing a podcast. I was like, Michael, <laughs> and finally it's come around. So, well, the thing I love to ask everyone right at the beginning is how you came to live in Southern Oregon. Where were you before? What drew you to this area?
1: Yeah, uh, I had visited the Rogue Valley probably 10, 11 years ago for the first time, uh, a friend of mine, a coworker where I was in California lived in Rogue River mm-hmm. and, uh, through an invitation came to visit the Valley one holiday season and hiked some of the trails and went to a few of the towns and really liked it and enjoyed it. And then in 2013, I was living in, at the time I was living in the Sierra foothills, so between Mm -hmm. Sacramento and Lake Tahoe, Mm -hmm. and I was working for a land trust down there. Uh, I had started with them many years before. I was doing outdoor education for young folks for K through 12 at the time, and eventually through that work with this land trust, uh, the American River Conservancy, uh, I became their development director and was advancing in my career. Wanted to get to a larger organization. I think I wanted a change of scenery um, out of a small rural town. And I landed in Ashland to work for KS Wild. So it was the job that brought me uh, to Southern Oregon with Klemensiski Wildland Center. And yeah, from then on, I've been exploring the forests and trails and rivers uh, ever since.
0: All right, and so what were you doing with with KS Wild to start?
1: Yeah, Yeah. I was hired as the organization's first development director. Um, Our organization goes back about 25 years, and you know, like most nonprofit grassroots groups, they start with a bunch of volunteers, Mm -hmm. and they go from there. And so over the years, um, they were growing, they were building a staff, and uh, we needed to make sure we had sustainability down the road. And so the organization decided to hire a development director to help them with that sustainability. And so I came in as organization's first development director and have been working with our Riverkeeper staff, our Forest Watch staff, and our climate program to just support their goals uh, and mission uh, over the years. And it was about three years ago that I was promoted to executive director. So there's a lot of similarities, but I spent a lot more time with programs mm-hmm. and have support for fundraising from additional staff.
0: Excellent. So tell us all a little bit about KS Wild. And it's so funny, I've got to say, right? This is one of the first nonprofits I probably heard about when I moved here. Because in my community on Applegate there are so many people going to the very well known dinner events. Yeah. <laughs> I, hear, that's good. I hear about that's these good. events, everyone's getting baby gotta get child care for the dinner. Oh, that's funny. The K.S. Wild right. dinner. Are you going to the K.S. Wild dinner? And I still yet to make it to one, so I need to make it to one. But yeah, I, yeah. so <laughs> tell us tell us what Chaos Wild does. What why
1: yeah. are you going? Here in Southern Oregon, I'll start in the Applegate, because that's where KS Wild was founded. Back in the late 90s, uh, there was a group of folks in the Applegate in the Williams area who were seeing their neighboring forests cut down by the Bureau of Land Management. So around the Applegate, uh, you know, there's a lot of ranches and farms and private land, but it's really surrounded by U.S. Forest Service land, but also Bureau of Land Management. These are federal agencies that are responsible for managing forest land in our area. Uh, The concerns in the late 90s had to do with clear-cut logging. Uh, And we got our start because residents and citizens of Southern Oregon were tired of seeing our federal land managers exploit our forests. So folks were seeing a lot of really bad logging at that time in the late 90s. And they wanted to protect wildlife and clean water. Uh, And so what we decided to do was start looking at what those agencies were proposing for the forests around those farms and houses. And so what KS Wild does uh, is through federal law, federal guidelines, um, there are rules in place that require those agencies to engage the public in their decision making. And so these are often in the form of comment periods, uh, oftentimes field trips into the forest. So our job is twofold. Um, We bring science into the discussion. So we're looking at research, work with scientists about what's the best way to protect this landscape. Uh, We're also asking citizens, whether they're farmers or attorneys or doctors or service folks to say, what do you think those agencies should do with these forests? So we just work through a process of engaging people in commenting um, and supporting collaborative efforts to make sure we take care of this landscape around us. Agencies manage federal forests today it 's come a long way, but you know twenty thirty years ago, there was a lot of clear cutting and that harms the landscape and it actually makes these forests more susceptible to fire down the road. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of folks were really concerned about the safety of their streams and rivers mm-hmm. and their own land being up against all this forest land.
0: So today, that's still a lot of the work that you're doing. Tell us a little bit about how those are all related, right? Because you've got clean water we know that that's important yeah. for so many different reasons. And that's, I mean, that's something I'm particularly interested to learn a little bit more about just because, A, we're in a drought. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we're fortunate to have as much rain as we did this year. Yay! Yes. And hopefully that continues on, but we're still in a drought. Um, so having clean water is really important. It is. And tell us how that's affected by...
1: Yeah, I, th- I think what's really important to, to learn about forest management in the area and how it impacts water quality has a lot to do with the different jurisdictions that we see in southern oregon for these forests we have um, agencies like the forest service and the bureau of land management that manage certain forests Uh, we also have private lands and they're all managed a little differently and they impact water a little differently i would say the the worst kind of logging, clearcut logging uh, is removing you know a lot of a lot of trees that keep sediment and soil from flowing into our creeks mm-hmm. And as you know, a lot of our creeks and waterways in Southern Oregon they're filled with steelhead and salmon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we were lucky to live in an area so far from the ocean that every October, you know every November, These fish make hundreds of miles of journey up this way to find their home rivers. And so logging severely impacts those fish and the habitat that these creeks provide for them. Um, Some type of logging is worse because on private lands, we still do aerial spraying of Mm -hmm. pesticides and herbicides. And these chemicals get in our waterways. as you know, living out in the Applegate, a lot of these waterways feed our farms for irrigation. They feed our houses for mm-hmm. drinking water. So, you know, we want these water systems to be operating in good condition without having to throw a lot of money at filtration and other ways of treating it. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we're working on a project where the Forest Service wants to propose a logging project, we go there and we're looking at things like where are they gonna do that. You know, we're trying to steer them away from creeks and waterways mm-hmm. because you know the closer we get to those waterways and we're messing with the land management, the more it's gonna impact what happens with that water.
0: Yeah. And that's such an important resource for us here for so many reasons, right? You named a few of them for our farming or irrigation. I mean, so so many of our farms rely on that for food and herbs and all kinds of things, you know, but also our recreation. I mean, I'm a kayaker. I love, I wanna be kayaking in clean water. Fishing is a huge, huge thing in this area. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's important for people to understand how those are related.
1: Absolutely, and I think KS Wild brings this forest conservation focus in line with our water quality and clean water advocacy. At KS Wild, you talked about recreation. At KS Wild, we have a Rogue River Keeper program. And every summer, a Rogue River Keeper goes out into the Rogue River watershed, and they do water quality testing. Mm. So they're looking at Bear Creek, they're looking at the Applegate, Looking at Butte Creek, the Illinois River, and they're taking samples and they were taking that information and providing it for a national network of water quality data called the swim guide. And so if folks ever want to figure out like what is the water quality oh, like near yeah. our homes or our communities, places where you fish or swim, there is this resource out there uh, from the Waterkeeper Alliance called the Swim Guide and you can type in your zip code and you can check out if your swimming hole, or your fishing hole uh, is impacted by things like E. coli or other runoff. Uh, so you're right, like for us not to only be on the front end of trying to help plan projects that don't impact the waterways, we're also gonna engage on the back end and see like how are our waterways being impacted by our activities like forestry and farming. And share that information with the public um, to just inform them and make sure they're recreating safely.
0: Yeah. So you said that was the Waterkeeper Alliance?
1: Yeah. So the Waterkeeper Alliance is a national, and, I'm sorry, an international network of organizations that support clean water, fish, uh, and aquatic recreation. Locally in Southern Oregon, we have a Rogue Riverkeeper uh, that is part of that network. Okay. And so there are. Keepers you might say across the west coast across the country and even internationally and they're all very much built around That clean water advocacy piece
0: That's awesome. So then if people want to go they can just go to the Yes, you can uh, check our water keeper Alliance website and then look up the swim guide for your area
1: this time of year It's I think on the front of their page You can also access the swim guide by Googling swim guy. (laughs) Uh, You can also check out Rogue River Keeper's website because I think they have it linked there. And the Rogue River Keeper website is www.rogueriverkeeper.org.
0: All one word. Perfect. So I'd love to hear, too, more about... um, what you have to offer the community as far as ways of getting involved. Soft, yeah. Because I know people do love to get involved mm-hmm. and would love to support you, so tell us some ways. Yeah.
1: Well I'm sorry we haven't had the annual dinner in the last couple of years where you no, could get involved. <laughs> yeah, I was able to do um I had the, the fortunate uh task between two thousand fourteen and two thousand nineteen of hosting that. And for many years uh, KS Wild's annual dinner was this opportunity for us to bring people in from all over the region and just celebrate wildlife, our rivers, our forests. Um, without that happening these days and with what's transpired the last couple of years, opportunities have been limited, but we're expanding. And I think you know the best way for folks this summer to get involved, there's a, a few things. We have monthly hikes uh, that are on our website. Uh, so these are hikes we often schedule a few months in advance. Uh, they can be found at kswild.org, and these are hikes that take place all over our region. We have hikes in the Cascade Siskiyou National Monument, uh, we'll do hikes out at the Oregon Caves National Monument Preserve. I just did a hike out there at Bigelow Lakes, which is a really cool big meadow up along the Siskiyou Crest. Uh, we'll do, uh, what else we have coming up? Our Rogue River Keeper this Saturday is doing a, a float on the Rogue out of Grants Pass. And so throughout the summer we'll try to host small gatherings that are taking people on boats down the river. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of our own boats, but we often okay. encourage folks to bring their own. And then we also have opportunities sometimes for just field trips and field tours. Of late, we've been working with a lot of community groups in the Applegate around a couple of projects where we've encouraged folks to come out uh, to a location and, you know, do a protest. That's sometimes how folks can get involved is they can be activists and protest. Uh, But I think the best way for folks to get involved and engage with us is really checking out a lot of the hikes and other presentations, like during the winter time we'll bring in guest scientists for talks Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of that's focused around wildlife and forestry but we'll bring in butterfly experts we'll bring in geologists so a lot of just you know science and outdoor education type experiences where folks can experience the forests and the rivers with us
0: yeah. And I think that is a great way of getting engaged, right? Because the more that you are engaged in those activities and appreciate what being on a hike and being in the forest has to offer, which we all know is huge, um, both to our, our physical health and our mental health, the more that we want to protect and be aware of what's happening in that realm. So I think that's a great way of getting people involved. So hopefully people yeah. check that out because we do have so much hiking around here in beautiful spots, which of course is a question I want to ask yeah. you because that's someone who has probably done all kinds of exploring. What are your favorites?
1: just talking to someone this week because they were asking me the same question and you I, must get that a lot i too. do and i always ask the, the person what is it you're interested in seeing?" But mm-hmm. I, I do have favorite wildflower hikes right mm. i have favorite okay river that's my hikes. favorite okay i'm yeah. gonna ask
0: that one because i'm gonna ask that specific sure <laughs> favorite, favorite wildflower, wildflower
1: hikes um yes. I'll say the the most relevant one right now, because it's the time of year to be up there, Mm -hmm. which is early July, is head up to Bigelow Lakes Basin in the Oregon Caves National Monument and Preserve. This is a a really interesting place uh, because it's a part of this national park, which is a significant cave system, And these are the headwaters to the streams that flow into the cave and out of the cave. It's a really awesome Mm -hmm. place. Above the caves um, is this area called Below Lakes, which is this beautiful high alpine meadow with a couple of small lakes in there. And this is the time of year where the lupin and the larkspur Mm -hmm. and the violets... It's just a, a field of green, purple, yellows, blues. Ooh. So I'd have to say that's one of my favorites. And I recommend people, if they just want a smaller hike and they're more into botanizing, check out the meadow. But if you're into more of a adventure and a trip, there's a beautiful six-mile loop that goes above the meadow onto this ridgeline. And you look out at this big, beautiful view that goes all the way from Mount Shasta um, mm-hmm. to Preston Peak and the Siskiyou wilderness. So you have this entire viewshed of like the Red Buttes. Uh, what else is in your viewshed there? The Marble Mountains, the Trinity Alps. Wow. And so there's a great six-mile loop that I highly recommend people do. I, I think earlier uh, in the year, you can check out the Wild Rogue Trail, the Rogue River Recreation Trail. I think early spring is a great place uh, it's a great place to go see wildflowers. Yeah. All
0: right, excellent. Yeah. All right, how about let's see here. We've got wildflowers. How about I'm trying to think of some of my favorites? Lake. Ooh, man,
1: lake. another good one. All right, <laughs> uh, I would say my favorite lake by far is Devil's Punch Bowl in the Siskiyou Wilderness, which is technically. In Northern it California,
0: <laughs>
1: but I think, you know, people living in Southern Oregon would appreciate its <sighs> proximity because it is only about an hour from places like Cave Junction or O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to go down to the tunnel on your way to the coast and it's in a wilderness area. So it's not necessarily the most accessible, okay. but if people are into backpacking and they're into just doing, you know, a small overnight, uh I think Devil's Punch Bowl is probably one of my favorite lakes. And I'm gonna think about a more accessible yeah. one.
0: Here for a <laughs> lakes, lakes, so that lakes. one's not as accessible just because you, you gotta get a backpack. But for people who yeah, want a backpack, be, which is
1: but it, but it is one that it requires you to go into awareness, but it would be a one-day trip. You could go in and out of that because it's really close to a trailhead. Okay. Other favorite lakes, oh man. What have I experienced lately that was lake camping? Um, well, Bigelow Lakes was one of those. <laughs> Another favorite lake hike is also in a wilderness wilderness area, and that's Frog Lake in the Red Buttes. It's a pretty strenuous trail. Again, it could be done in a day hike. Probably more enjoyable for a overnight. Mm-hmm. But it's on the edge of the Red Butte wilderness. And when you go out there in May and June, it's just a cacophony of frogs. Uh, The name is appropriate. Uh, And it's not a place where you are going to go and get this quiet, serene lake experience. (laughs) It's going to be a frog symphony for pretty much all day (laughs) long. Which I think is just cool because you just don't have that. Um, but I would say, in terms of lakes and places that would be cool to go swimming in, mm-hmm. some of those are a couple of my favorites
0: for right. sure. Excellent. Yeah. And then as far as um, other places that you just love engaging with, now that you've been here nine years, where where do you take people when you've got guests from out of town, you know, when you're playing tourist or or some of your regular spots that you just love people, either businesses or places that you're like, I love these folks, they're doing great stuff. What are some of your favorites?
1: Yeah, I think if I was to have uh, my family come from the Midwest, and they're not Mm -hmm. as outdoor or active as we are. I always like to find more appropriate, less strenuous trails.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I would say close to Ashland, I really like taking people to Grizzly Peak. That's a great Mm -hmm. loop. If you haven't been up there, it's appropriate. Grizzly Peak uh, provides great views of the Rogue Valley. You don't have to go far. It's not a wilderness experience, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's a great day hike. Um, another one of mine's a little farther. It's up above Butte Falls, actually, on the South Fork of the Rogue. Mm. It's not a part of the Rogue River watershed where a lot of folks are familiar with it, but it's one of my favorite areas because you have this gorgeous hike through some old-growth forests right along the South Fork of the Rogue. On hot summer days, there's nothing more enjoyable than taking a dip in the ice-cold water mm-hmm. of the South Fork of the Rogue. And there's a lot of different stretches you can do out there. You can do a big, long loop out and back. Um, You can do a small hike to a grove of 550-year-old sugar pines Mm. that, you know, rivals some of the bigger redwoods you might see down in that country. Um, For me, it's also just a special place because I worked on uh, wolf recovery and wolf advocacy. And it's often been a place where we've known that as gray wolves come back into Southern Oregon and repopulate the area, they seem to find uh, a good habitat and home in that area. So I like to go back every year and just sort of check out to see if the wolves were around. You know, signs, footprints, scat, um, but I've yet to see anything up there.
0: Uh, and that was Butte Falls?
1: Yeah, you go up past Cross- Butte Falls um, on the Butte Falls Prospect Road and you head up in there, um, into forest service land. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I often tell people, I think one of the, one of my favorite hiking guides that I think provides some of what you're mm-hmm. talking about, yeah. what are some of these front country experiences where you've got friends out of town and it's just easier to get to. Um, Bill Sullivan has a great book called hundred hikes of Southern Oregon. Okay. And so, I just recommend for folks that might be coming into the area and wanting to know more about some of those more popular places that are accessible. Bill Sullivan's book is a, a great okay. starting point.
0: Excellent, yeah. that's good to know. Yeah, I have a couple of good hiking books, and I, it's it's fun to start going through them and figuring out. I kind of I went through some of the waterfall ones, and cool. that's, yeah, waterfalls are. So fun. A lot of abundance
1: of waterfalls in Southern Oregon. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite?
0: What's my favorite? Um, Well, the one I just went to that, oh gosh, now I'm going to forget the name of it, of course. It's up north by Glide. You go out to Glide and it was a little less uh, known one and we went on the, the, what is the river there?
1: Is that Cow Creek? Yes. Cow Creek. yeah. Creek.
0: Yep. Okay. Cool. And there's two falls. There's the nice. big, big one. And then there's one that was kind of more of a, uh, it's smaller, but yes. Nice. And, the, and we got there right when the wildflowers were just mm-hmm. starting and going off. So it was, I love wild, I'm a wildflower, okay. that's my favorite. So to have both was excellent. Awesome. And it was also a rainy day, so we packed for <laughs> full on rain and then as Oregon does, it just barely drizzled in the morning, and we had this glorious hiking window of it's raining over there, but not on us. Cool. <laughs> and then as soon as we got in the car, it started dumping. So it was perfect. It's <laughs> a <laughs> uh, very Oregon nice experience one. for Right. All, right <laughs> Bring for the rain time. here just in That's case. Cool. But yeah. yeah, and I'm looking forward to getting out on the rivers for kayaking. I haven't mm-hmm. gotten to do that yet, so I'm mm-hmm. really looking forward to that. any local businesses that you enjoy?
1: Yeah. You know, Chaos Wild, over the years, I think a lot of what our success is based on has been engaging with the business community. Mm. You know, I, I think when people talk about the work we do, you know, we sometimes work with decision makers around forest protection and river conservation efforts. A lot of times we talk about conservation these days in the context of conservation or recreation supporting Southern Oregon sustainable economies and businesses. So I think a lot of the, when I first came on nine years ago, a lot of the businesses we were interacting with were rafting companies, Mm -hmm. folks like Momentum River Expeditions, uh, Mm -hmm. Indigo Creek Outfitters. There's also uh, Northwest Rafting Company. These were folks that often have a real stake in how public lands and rivers are managed because they're out there taking people down this. So that's often been sort of, I think, a natural intersection with the business community. But as you know, anyone can interact and interface with public lands. And we reach out a lot of times to restaurants and small businesses, you know, that might be independent and they're just working out of their house and they work remotely.
0: So you were just thinking about a place in
1: Cape Junction, Cape Junction
0: yep. and I know they just sold. You just yes. mentioned their name, which is?
1: Dig and Living.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they just sold, yeah. but there being the, there's a new owner, okay. and she's going to take over, and they're very excited to have sure. her take over, and I cannot remember the name of the new place, mm-hmm. but it'll be in the same location, and I know that the folks at Dig and Living are going to be providing the produce. So they're going to be doing more stepping into more of the farming side of things and and that side of it. So that's great. Um,
1: yeah, they're, you know businesses like Dig and Live in which again may not seem like it intersects with public lands, but as we know, these these business owners they recreate on public lands. Some of them have farms where their water originates, you know, from public lands, and you know people like Dig and Live in over the years have been really supportive. Of Chaos efforts out in the Illinois Valley. Um, there's one campaign in particular that's been going on for a long time, and there are some watersheds out there threatened by mining. Mm-hmm. And it, it's an unfortunate situation. But what people like Digging Livin' do provide us with you know food for events. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll often send in petitions or letters to the editor to you know promote what we're working on. Um, So I I think folks like Joy and Eric and what they're doing out there and being a part of the community, those are the types of folks that we try to engage with um, because they're such community hubs as well. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's what we're trying to do whenever we do work with the business community. We're we're trying to also encourage them to share these stories of forests and, and rivers with their people too. Yeah.
0: Well, I think it, again, affects everybody here. Um, Most people live in Southern Oregon in part because they love to engage with the area and the natural beauty. And whether it's someone who's a hunter or equestrian or hiker or backpacker or rafter, you know, there's so many different ways that people engage. But we all appreciate what this area has to offer in terms of nature. Yeah, in the outdoors. All right. Thank you so much for sharing the work that KS Wild is doing. And folks, if you want to get involved, we're going to have their link on the show notes so you'll be able to go check it out and see what kinds of events and hikes and things they got going on.
1: Thank you. Yeah. It's been
0: fun. All right. All right, everyone. We'll be back again next week. This podcast is produced by Simona Fino and co-produced by James Dedakis and Jaded Media. Original music by Samuel Lawrence.